Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the NXT Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review NXT, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture, as I said, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick and Michael Hamlet, uh, a show last night that I really enjoyed. Bad blood are plenty. People showing lots of guts, and well, I've had my fill of wrestling for the week. I don't know about you. <laughs> Can I just shock you? I like this episode of NXT. Yes. At any one time, I've got upwards of seven generous takes on this episode of NXT in my house, and I'll give you them all today. Um, good. I won't be party to your winding up of my esteemed colleague nor should he have to sell it because they came nowhere near attempting to sort of finish people's appetite for wrestling for the week. Uh, but I did enjoy the show, yeah. I think the stuff, um, I've probably fell a little bit below your bar for praise over the last few weeks, Wilborn specifically. Um, yeah, not mine. I liked, the stuff I liked on the show, I really, really liked. Um, and something Sidgwick said yesterday on our preview really stuck with me. It was when you were going looking for a wrestler without a programme. Uh, for an interruption, a generic interruption. And of course, we've got one on this show, the generic interruption, and you couldn't really find one. And it kind of like brought home this, this kind of like wider point I'm trying to make about NXT already since the move to Tuesdays, which is just, even when it's boring, and yes, I will concede that it's often boring, it's focused. NXT has so rapidly returned to the pre-war version of itself. I cannot fathom why they didn't bother trying that a bit more on the Wednesdays, <laughs> because things are going at a slower pace. Um, but I'm enjoying most of the developments. I can see so many more of the wires, but I don't care because I just like the rigidity of style that I enjoyed enough before. It'll never be for everybody, and it'll often never be that exciting. But I think this was a week where those two things came together. I got a lot of excitement from the product, and I got possibly even more from just seeing the direction of most of the characters. I earnestly very much enjoyed a lot of this show. Here's the thing. 
What I enjoyed about this show, very much I might add, came at the conclusion of week-to-week, month-to-month stories that I was completely exhausted by and uncaring about. That which I didn't enjoy on this show indicated more weeks and months of that specific type of storytelling. This was, in effect, a B-level takeover at its best, hence why I think it's been so rave-reviewed in certain circles. And yet there's still that nagging feeling, that focus though it is, I completely agree with that point. It's still a bit drab and uninteresting. I do not need to see a promo train. Yeah, that was, yeah. Ever again. It's consistent with my feelings about NXT, this show, but more of this on TV, not just saving it all for the takeover. Mm. If you can do more of this on TV, I'll enjoy it more on Tuesdays than I do Saturdays. And I thought one of the best matches of the night, arguably the best match of the night, wasn't even one of the two mad plunder brawls. Uh, but we'll get to that in due course. Uh, we started with the uh, with the Falls Count Anywhere match. Isaiah Swerve Scott against Leon Ruff. Uh, and they sold this, yeah, I'm joking, obviously, but with a lot of bad blood and Leon Ruff was eager to get his hands on him. I love the fact that Scott just completely had his, his head on a swivel and knew exactly what was going to happen. So Ruff charges him straight away and just gets laid out with a knee strike. Um, goes through that Leon Ruff, as his, his offence, dives through the ropes, gets caught by Scott and gets hoyed into the apron with like a Death Valley driver. Uh, the superplex in this match looked absolutely massive from Isaiah Swerve Scott. They brawl to the uh, outside. That continues as we go to a break. During the break, they've gone through the locker room and stuff. I wasn't paying that much attention, to be perfectly honest. But when we come back, they're on the stage. One of the lights blinds Scott. He gets knocked off the stage. Leon Ruff dives off onto him. Uh, they're back in the ring. Scott goes for another superplex, but Ruff counters into a crucifix bomb. And Ruff hits this mad bloody poison rana thing off the apron. Scott bumps onto the floor. Scott then hits a modified Mishinoku driver on Ruff on the floor, but Ruff kicks out at two. Uh, And then Scott charges at Ruff. Ruff is sort of propped up against the ring step. Ruff obviously moves. Scott hurts his knee. Ruff targets that with the toolbox that Scott had just tried to hoy at his head earlier on in the match. Uh, Ruff targets the knee, uh, hits a frog splash for a great near fall, applies a heel hook, but Scott escapes. And then Ruff's nailing cutters. He hits one in the ring. He hits one on the outside. Then he climbs up onto where the the sort of hard cam is and goes, he's going to hit some crazy cutter uh, to Scott to the, uh, the, the outside where the audience is meant to be standing. But he comes off the top and who should be there? But AJ Francis, he catches him. He, hoys him into the barricade and that allows Scott to uh, get Leon Ruff in the ring, hit him with the JML driver and get the win. One, two, three. Not only has Scott seemingly won this feud, Michael Hamlet, he's got himself a brand new stable too. Yeah, I thought this was great and way better than it had any right to be for a feud that has felt totally out of juice for weeks. Mm. They delivered such like an accomplished like blow off, like such a great payoff. And in ways I totally didn't expect, like we talked on the preview about, obviously that they wouldn't use a lot of contrived weapon spots because the main event would need them. It turns out they just wrestled around it. This was just a very physical match where they used moves, shockingly enough, to try and win. Yes, the falls could count anywhere. And yes, we had a very brief visit to the locker room. Like notably, all of that was in picture in picture. I I genuinely felt as if this was agented, as if that was meant to be 
like a little bit of a palate cleanser if you happen to be watching that tiny screen in the middle of the advert mm -hmm. before we get back to the real action, which is taking place in the ring, occasionally on the ramp, in that like bigger space they've got on that one side of the ring. And obviously for the finish as well, it didn't sprawl half as much as I thought, but somehow um, that wasn't at the expense of the match. The use of the toolbox was great because it felt more like a desperation grab of a weapon than the reach under the ring for the six tables and the four chairs and so on and so forth. And obviously the ladders, which NXT loves and we'd get plenty of in the main event. Um, questions were asked beforehand about how you could book both of these matches on one show. And ultimately this never particularly felt like a plunder brawl. Mm. Seeing two super athletes trying to use a super athletics to get it done, which I think built nicely into the finish as well. It's why Ruff would go for so many cutters rather than believing that one was enough. So I even felt that was pretty, he didn't look to me or feel to me to be stupid in just trying to go that one extra level to get it done. And Scott's won and got himself a stable. So you've immediately got something brand new for Scott and Christ does he need it. Um, you've got a heater, you've got a group, You've got what will hope will be the explained motivations of this group coming together after the fact. I like, I really like this, and I'm almost surprised how much I did. Like, no idea how they pulled this one off, but really, really great work all around. Yeah, I thought this is fantastic, like takeover worthy. Um, one minor criticism: it didn't really do much to diminish my enjoyment of the match because I thought it was all the better for not um, leaning into the tropes and the expected structure of a Falls Count Anywhere match. But if you're a WWE fan, you're probably watching this match for that purpose and to do it in picture and picture. While again, I didn't care. I thought what they were doing in the ring was far more um, creative and just thrilling than some kind of like plunder spots backstage. I do think strategically it was a bit of an error at how that in picture and picture, just given what the audience expects of such a match. But personally, I didn't give a toss. Um, what I loved about this match wasn't just how the creativity never felt like they were actively reaching to do cool things. Like it was all really quite elegantly done. This mm. was there's a specific strand of selling in WWE and particularly NXT that I hate. That is for years, descendant parody of the shocked kick-out faces and the, I can't believe I've done that to you, sorry, but, you know, I'm just so tormented on the inside. <laughs> Leon Ruff's performance was such lovely tonic to that histrionic breed of selling. Mm. Like, he felt like he was legitimately hurt. Like, he, and he's the perfect guy to kill in a match of this nature. So it inspired dynamic that, while it didn't lend itself to good, gripping, episodic TV, more than made up for it in the guts of the match itself. He just looked like he got really, really hurt in this I match. Thought that, I thought that from when he got hoyed into the apron about a minute in. I was like, yeah, oh my God, he's really hurt. He just looked like he's getting killed and he's the perfect guy to look like he's getting killed. I think they measured that perfectly. Um, more of this, God damn it, please, from NXT. Like, not performative selling, immersive selling, and he can still do that kind of selling in a match that bordered on the absolutely spectacular at times. And as far as that kind of finish goes, perfect. Absolutely perfect. There are there's an element of a master plan here, an actual direction that isn't just this awful protective A to B transition into a feud where someone established has some kind of problem with whomever he interferes at the expense of, and then they do a little program, and then it's all a circle pattern. The actual progression, a new stable, the idea that Swerve Scott's smart and he's going to ascend up the ranks 
not that they have ranks, but you get what we get my meaning. Um, with the formation of a new stable, which is good, good narrative development. Yeah, I couldn't have been higher on this to be perfectly honest. I thought it was ace. Uh, one good thing and one bad thing. Uh, the good thing is uh, later on we got to hear Wade Barrett say the word crew. Uh, because that's how uh, that's how Swerve introduced his his new gang, and uh, the bad thing is my only concern, Michael Sidgwick, is just there's too many factions now. I'm I'm worried I'm not going to be able to keep count. We've got, uh, right. We've got the diamond mine. It's all a bit uh, funny, isn't it? Uh, right. Uh, so we had. Johnny Gargano, he's backstage. He storms into William Regal's office. He's desperate for a meeting. Scarlet, Scarlet is already in there, though. Uh, and Regal's like, Can't you see, I'm kind of a bit busy now. I'll, I'll meet with you later. Gargano goes, oh, later, fine. I'm the big, the real champion. Okay, you have to chat with the real champion later. Storms out, leaves Austin Theory in there. He turns, looks at Scarlet and says, oh, my God, those are huge. Are, are they real? Those are the... Biggest nails I've ever seen. I died. This was a huge pap in the Wilborn household. I thought it was hilarious. If slightly, slightly problematic, Michael Cedric. Don't come to me. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I don't think Scarlet Bordeaux's Austin Theory's type. So I don't really get the bad optics <laughs> of the situation. Um, yeah, just a stupid joke on it. Pamphlet. It's all quite bad. Is that this is like this is an ugly like Triple H is really old. He's older than me, right? And this is effectively the second time he's done this in NXT. Remember before Scarlet and Karen Cross debuted and she was in the car park? Lord Flanders. Candice LeRae's body, and it was like, yeah, the ones at the bottom. He was getting her to reach for some peanuts for him. Like somebody had been beaten up in the car park, and there she was. Like, this is a gross Triple H thing. Like Oh, Papa H is staring at one of his talent's tits. Great. Like that, like I was able to look past like potential speaking out allegations. Chief Austin Theory being involved in a skit <laughs> like this. And I was thinking of the guy writing it, the guy scripting it. Triple H is into the breasts of one of his female performers. And twice we have witnessed this on NXT television. To be fair, isn't it? Because I'm a consistent goddamn wrestling content producer if we're keeping a scoreboard it's like 986 one jim ross's killing (laughs) department so i'm sort of it's one of those things where like the patriarchy is a very very real thing and genuinely genuinely it's worse on the other channel (laughs) i'm desensitized to it and i shouldn't be so thank you for pointing that out Yes, I've got a very guilty, uh, guilty pleasure out of that segment, though. Guilty uh, now. <laughs> that was followed by the real star of NXT. One. The star of the show's here. He took on Asher Hale. Asher Hale actually got in quite a lot of offense uh, and uh, he got a near fall from a missile drop kick. But in the end, uh, Grimes fights back. He uh, calls it out and, and nails the cave in. One, two, three. Give him the million dollar championship. We'll come back to this later, of course, my pamphlet. But oh my god, give him the million dollar championship or give him any belt because he is he's worth his weight in gold on this show. Yeah, NXT have a really nice problem in Cameron Grimes, is that their funniest guy, their comedy character, their million dollar belt is the payoff character, is a guy I think I want to win their world title. Because in squashes, in long matches, 
in anything that he's been given, he wrestles different to virtually every champion this brand has ever had. He's really good. He's really, really good. He does like really hard, stiff looking impact stuff, but he shows more arse than virtually anyone I can remember since Bo Dallas in a potential top line role on this brand. Just goes against how Triple H has always booked his champions. And like what a breath of fresh air it always is. And he's so good at obviously everything else. Like I was trying to make this point yesterday. I'll take like the skit we got later on was great. And of course I'll take more of it, but I'm bang up for Cameron Grimes. Like turning this into a a proper run, like a a title run, a a push, a proper push than just providing the comedy. Like I want more of it because I thought this was, it's like what, like four or five minutes long or something. As you say, a virtual squat. I, I know that like Asher Hale got some stuff in, but you can because it's Cameron Grimes. Like I really enjoy this way more than your traditional. I want to show where Ryan sat in this. <laughs> I just I thought this was tremendous. I, like I, I love Cameron Grimes, like all of it, not just the partner, all of it. I think he's fantastic. I'd put a, I'd put the belt on him. Love Cameron Grimes. Loved him even more later in the night. One of my favorite things about Cameron, Cameron Grimes is that he plays. And is in fact in real life like way more intelligent. Like he plays dumb, and I think he's an incredibly intelligent character wrestler. You, there's so often in modern wrestling where you get guys who, and I don't mean to be all cornet about this, but it's genuinely the case where a lot of modern wrestlers don't seem to wrestle in character. They borrow from a fashionable style guide that's incidental to whatever they're saying. Mm. Cameron Grimes is a short-tempered idiot <laughs> in that beautiful Seinfeldian mode where he realises the key to getting laughs is just like by just losing his by just losing <laughs> his temper. It's funny watching people get angry is funny. That's a famous Seinfeld quote by one of the guys who got comedy more than anybody else. And what I love about Cameron Grimes is that when someone deigns to like get offence on him, he just has a conniption fit as a counter. <laughs> and just Kneeing people in the belly in an explosion of anger just works so much better for Cameron Grimes because it layers his character as a serious proposition who is more than second match comedy. And he can elevate that as a thing to do on TV, which is all important. But you can't be more than this. Uh, we had Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro getting interviewed backstage. They're talking about, you know, wanting their shot at the NXT women's uh, tag team titles and the uh, history with the. Uh, the dragon lady. Um, we quickly realised, hang on, we can't really book an, a, a force as powerful as this without them just instantly going to the title. So I'm taking a dim view on Tan Shaw at the minute. I think they've realised, oh, hang on, we have to have them win, but we're not ready for them to win. That is becoming increasingly apparent to me. Maybe the lesson in all of this is to not book a thousand-year-old warrior who was trained by a dragon. That's a bit better than uh, Albert. <laughs> um, but in comes, I love, I'm really intrigued by Frankie Monet. She comes in, she's got a dog Presley, and she just completely patronizes them by saying, I believe in you. No, we believe in you. And she's already making herself seem on, seem on another level, Sage, and she hasn't wrestled a match in NXT. It's incredibly astute, improbably astute NXT booking, in that they, she has a conflict with everyone. <laughs> great she's a person who in the A to B to C brand is going through the alphabet weekly in terms of people she can have a fight with like it's really good it's it's astonishingly good 
and it's like always supposed to be about anticipation, isn't it? And it, it's big, it's less about now who she faces. It's about just getting to see her wrestle. They've done a fantastic, like her first television match, they could throw the um, Frankie Monet in action graphic mm. and you're not going to believe your luck because all you've been watching is her playing off everybody in the division. So of course, like her first match is likely to be just against the jobber, but they have now, and like how... How often do AEW do this when NXT can't, which is just flash that in-action graphic up because you actually want to see somebody wrestle? They've done it with somebody. Like, if they preview that, like, that's going to be one of the key talking points of that week when they finally announce that she's going to wrestle. I would imagine they'll actually save it for a takeover as well. Mm. Frankie Monet will wrestle at takeover, and they might even tease who their first challenge is going to be, or they might do it like Asuka's proper debut against Dana Brooke, where it's just a, a squash you know is going to happen, but you can't wait to see it. This is high and, you know, it's nowhere near the level, let's be honest. But Chris Jericho tried to do a similar thing when he debuted in the Fed all those years ago. He decided, trying to craft his character, it's this absolute blowhard who believed himself to be greater and more entertaining than everyone, that throughout the course of one promo, he would bury literally everyone and have like, he just he basically mapped out the next year of his career in one promo. That That's what was so genius about a promo that an execution... Go back and watch it. It wasn't as funny as you might think, but the, the bare bones of his genius were like laid bare in that promo. Politics scuppered it because everyone thought, you? <laughs> yeah. Our ratings. Like it, did, it wasn't convincing and it wasn't popular for him to do that, but the kernels of a fantastic idea were there because they're all pissants getting crushed by the foot of the Monopoly. No one's going to pipe up and say, oh, she can't be doing that. And in fact, it's a work of fiction. So I'm into this. It's great. It's really well done. Speaking of great, Cameron Grimes was celebrating backstage when the tease of quite possibly the greatest trio in all of wrestling happened. He was celebrating. In walks Ever-Eyes. They're happy for him. They've seen an opportunity as well. He says, oh, I'm so happy. We're all, you know, we're, we're off to the club sort of thing. And they go, yeah, great, let's go. And he goes, he goes, oh, I'm really sorry, guys. There's only room for uh, only three three of us. And they go, well, what's the problem? That's great. And one of Ever Eyes goes, three great friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's got me. Uh, unfortunately, the three people Cameron Grimes were talking about were me, myself, and Cameron Grimes. I'm going to the VIP room. And off he went. I love it. I love it. More of this every single week, Michael Hamlet. You're welcome, NXT. Obviously, there's your contemporary corporation. Um, Sidgwick's got a fabulous take on this, so I'll just speak briefly on it, and then you can mention it as we were discussing this. Of course, we were discussing this over the virtual desk this morning. How could we not? Um, but, yeah, brilliant. Um, Ever eyes don't get used enough. My gut feeling is that they currently don't have faith in their matches because... If the matches are even half as good as the way that they can get themselves over it, like on camera, like turn the red light on. It's not really about how they're scripted. It's about how they, what they say and how they perform it. Um, so my feeling must be that they don't have the faith in Ever Rise as NXT regulars in a tag division that they're trying to build. Otherwise, we'd see loads more of them. But this was like the perfect place to position them. I can only hope this is not one gag because they heard it on a podcast yesterday and they're going to, they're going to feature consistently. Like Cameron Grimes is going to keep getting undermined by you-know-who and it's going to be Ever-Eyes that are constantly wise to it and it eventually forms this alliance between... It's that thing where it's like they're all idiots but one believes himself to not be an idiot. 
And that's the that's the stunning chemistry of this act. I just hope it's not one gag because it felt instantly as great as we all thought it might be the second they were on screen together. Yeah, these three lads look like they belong together. And I was saying to Hamflis, like the key difference, and I hope I'm proven wrong in the weeks to come, but the key difference is that Tony Khan would have put these three together with the click of his fingers as an act, as a unit, as a stable that can drive storylines, et cetera, et cetera, because they just seem so like bound together. Like they could, they could be so entertaining as a trio. I just would love to see them actually form a stable and this be beyond a side gag. Um, instant chemistry, three morons in the most lovable way. Like, yeah, I would love to see these guys in a stable, but I just fear it's a side gag. Uh, then we got one of my favourite matches of the night, I thought, next. It was Grizzled Young Veterans against uh, Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa before the match. Grizzled Young Veterans, as they always should, cut a promo saying, who encouraged these swamp creatures to take their... It's like really basic WWE promo stuff, but somehow James Drake and Zach Gibson just make it work. Who encouraged these swamp creatures to take their shoes off? Nobody wants to see your dirty webbed toes, so stick your cross back on, sit down and zip it, otherwise we'll leave this dumper of a country and then of course uh timothy thatcher and tommaso champa interrupt before they can do the scene stuff um and yeah i just think the i could watch these teams fight over and over again and i may well do um but i thought they worked so well together i particularly enjoyed the way that uh that the grizzly young veterans got control of timothy thatcher after the break the usual classic sneaky heel tactic drake goes to the outside they do quite clearly an illegal tag uh, because Drake's getting his arse handed to him by Timothy Thatcher. In the midst of all this, they're arguing uh, with the referee, um, who's got enough on his plate right now. And uh, he that allows basically Drake to, to come back into the ring and throw Thatcher via, I suppose, his ear headfirst into the rope. That allows them to take control. Eventually, that leads to a hot tag to Champa, which looked great. He just ran wild for a bit. In the end... Uh, Champa gets kicked into the uh, announce desk whilst he's trying to stop James Drake from getting involved with with uh, with uh, Timothy Thatcher and Zap Gibson, and then gets uh, knocked over it via a tope. Um, Thatcher's getting double teamed. Champa makes the save. In coming in, Champa has somehow got Wade Barrett's shoe. So <laughs> in he comes. The referee's distracted with all that. Thatcher twats Gibson with the shoe. That knocks him down. He gets him in an armbar. Gibson taps out. Oh, great stuff for this for me, Sige. What do you reckon? Um, I didn't, I wasn't quite as high as you on it as a match. I thought it was good without being great. But you know, you need that on TV sometimes. Not everything can be blow away great. But I'm just I can't believe that they somehow contrived to make Champa and Thatcher entertaining mm. after that poor faced bollocks of their original like storyline and them getting together. I always remember like the walking backstage after the fight pit, which was mid as hell. Let's face it in retrospect. And Champ was like, why did you shoot my hand? And Thatcher went, this worked. It's like the two boring hard lads. Uh, and yet they've developed this into an actual halfway entertaining baby face tag team now. Thatcher, uh, Champ is hot tag. A thrilling reminder that he used to be an awesome ba- uh, tag team wrestler. Oh, great. Maximizing people's strengths. <laughs> that not that funny? Isn't that a great way to do things? The finish, I think Grizzly Young Veterans were just dickheads enough to warrant the turnabout as fair play. Mm. And it's just funny 
like legitimately somehow funny watching Timothy Thatcher be this kind of a bastard. So much better than the abusive coach bastard doing Thatcher's Thatch can. That was just such rubbish TV. This is entertaining TV, and Timothy Thatcher is a part of it. So I was just inexplicably happy with with all of this. Yeah, another huge win for me. This on the show, um, they're getting the shoes off stuff over, and like it'll be on in a bigger way than it was obviously at Brit Red's peak, but it, it will get over, and like I think that's happening here, um, which you know like. That this match partially existed for that purpose. I think it's going to be a new wrinkle to the hatred that's like fired at Zach Gibson every time he starts to speak, every time he wrestles. Um, I, the, so Timothy, I never thought I would say this about Timothy Thatcher, right? But as a baby face, there is something as satisfying watching him getting beaten and stretched as there was the one, two, three kid. I never thought it would make that comparison because Thatcher's this you know, grizzled, to use their word, but like gnarly, you know, again, angry old like coach figure. Hmm. And then put him in a babyface tag role and he's the little guy that you desperately see get the tag because he's just so awesome at getting battered. The Champa did it to him in their takeover match. I couldn't get enough of watching Champa just brutalize him, stretch that face out and pull like the again that ear spot that you identified that only dragged him in uh, what was it like a, a choke or a cravat by Gibson after the fact he was just getting mauled and I was feeling for him as I would for the kid mm. like oh how a tag razor like <laughs> get the get the cool guy in just sort of like clean all this up <laughs> you're taking enough of a beating here and I never thought I would feel that for Timothy Thatcher ever I don't know how he's so good in this role I can't speak to if he did much of this kind of thing pre-NXT doesn't like from what I've seen of it, it was in Evolve, isn't it? Like, doesn't look to be that kind of guy. So, yeah, I don't know how they've happened upon such like a kind of lion hearted baby face <laughs> in this boring old fart of Timothy Thatcher, but they've done it. I think that's like key to the chemistry of this team. Um, again, to go back to like focus and formula, which is how NXT has always booked. Like, I love where this all leads. Like, Thatcher and Champa are on the bubble for a tag title shot now. Phantasma are going to get the next one. They're probably going to lose. It like all roads lead to MSK versus Saturn Champa, which MSK will probably win, which gives them this like standing that they haven't yet had. This respect that they'll have like generated from like the two grizzled old guys. And then who does it lead to? It leads back to grizzled young vets who in the meantime can go and like build their confidence back up with a few wins elsewhere. Like this feels like just because I've said it out like that, it doesn't mean that it isn't going to feel organic when it's happening. And this is the way NXT always used to do things and sometimes it was annoying because you could see the wires but it always led to great takeovers so maybe they're just getting back to doing that <laughs> instead of like next week a three-team ladder match for the tag belts or something because they've got nobody to compete with like much prefer it done that way hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. We go backstage uh, and... Gargano and, and Theory are there and they're furious about still not getting a meeting with Regal so they're going to bust down this door and Theory winds back and, and then just knocks on the door and Regal's not even in there he comes up to them uh, Gargano's furious saying oh blah 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 uh, Dexter Loomis etc etc we shouldn't have I shouldn't have to defend this NXT North American Championship um, because of Dexter Loomis's interference etc etc Regal's not having any of it and he also announces that he's booked a match next week between Austin Theory and Karrion Bloody Cross. He's going to murder him. And then we see uh, Swerve leaving the building with his crew. Any words you want to say on this, Hamlet? Um, Just that I think Gargano is the only guy that you can do the Uncle William Regal and his angry nieces and nephews bit with. I don't think there's anybody else in the roster and they shouldn't be fooled by how good their chemistry is together by the boss bollocking bit that they love doing so much. Gargano is the one that can sell it really well. And like him and Regal are real, like they're fun to watch. And that's often the difference between like this and when authority figures bollock the talent is it's not fun. It just feels sad. It feels too relatable with real life. This Like this is, it's broad, but it's like entertaining. So like they, they can get away with this for me. And like Cross interacting with the way is far more interesting than Cross doing like serious hard lad stuff. Like the way we kind of drag out something entertaining out of carrying crosses, very stoic and serious demeanor. So I, I, I quite like the match as well. Yeah, Gargano going up against Cross, having lost the North American title, is backwards in a way. But Gargano's going to get the best possible match out of Cross. He's going to get an actual storyline out of Cross. It's quite inspired, I think. Mm. Uh, weirdly, the Finn Balor return was was coming next, and it was arguably the lowest point in the show. And I, and I sensed that. Sage probably felt the same way about this. So we had the champion, NXT champion, Karrion Cross. He did his big entrance, Scarlet's there. He cuts this promo. He says he's not afraid of anyone. What are we waiting for? He talks about people having to come in and prove themselves right rather than him trying to prove anyone wrong. And he challenges Austin Theory and, yeah, basically says he's going to twat him next week. Um, out comes cool Kyle O'Reilly. He's got a flannel shirt on. He doffs his cap to, to, to Scarlet, confronts Cross, talks about wanting to face him, talks about being the next challenger. He's interrupted by Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne comes out and says he's the baddest man in NXT, dead anyone to prove him wrong. Finn Bella comes out and says, B 
been there, done that. And I thought, that's a nice bit of wordplay. And then he just said, been there, done that twice with Carlo Rano. I was like, oh, no, he's just, he's just saying the same thing. Okay. Um, he comes in, starts fighting with Karrion Cross. Big brawl between all four of them. Uh, security's there. One of the security guards eats a Saito suplex. And then as it looks like it's all calmed down and security managed to separate people, in comes Gargano in theory. They sneak attack Cross. He tries to fight him off, but the numbers game catches up with him. Plus they hit him with the belt, uh, stereo super kicks. And uh, yeah, they celebrate, leg it and jump straight into a guard. Never to be seen again. Um, but I sense, Sige, you and I probably felt the same way about this. You talked about it in the intro. Um, I just felt so disappointed that it's just devolved into, like you say, a promo train. Uh, it's just an absolutely woeful and miserable viewing experience, totally bereft of ideas that if it felt counterproductive and like, unconvincing by the way they did it, they even said that in the scripting. Basically what they've done is they've realized they don't have a challenger for cross. It's too early to do Kyle O'Reilly. So they've, in a bid to overcompensate for the fact that they can't book, they are just adding bodies to a multi-man. It would appear to be like, and I just think it's so bad. Pete Dunn hasn't beaten anyone. And then he lost the guy who he didn't beat anyone to challenge for. So he's never going to win the title. Kyle O'Reilly, as Finn Balor pointed out, is a double loser in terms of title matches. Finn Balor's just lost having just had a really long reign, the likes of which you, you just know from the patterns they aren't going to repeat. This was filler booking driven by one of the worst, lamest vehicles WWE's ever, ever, ever driven to arrive at these destinations. Hated it, hated it, hated it so much. Mm. Absolutely unacceptably shoddy and bad. Yeah. It's really poor. Um, the material wasn't any good, which doesn't help either. So, like very, very occasionally. You're a loser. You're a loser. Yeah. You're a loser. Only Brad Hart can cut that promo. <laughs> you, like I'll be patient if I think the material is good. It, to go and find the good material, if you watch 2000 WWE, you can see where they fell in love with this because five guys would come out all more over than the last, all cutting amazing promos and selling a billion T-shirts when they cut to the ad break. Different time, different wrestlers. This was still brand new. It's 21 years old at this point, and the, the content of the promos feels even older. Um, I'm sorry, I've made that exact point in something I'm writing on at the minute. It This format was kind of bad or artless even then, right? 2000 WWF was the best era of WWF possibly, and they didn't have a main event book for the show, but the guys were so charismatic. This trash talk was so fresh and hot and like just so well delivered that it didn't matter that you could poke holes in the show. This is like Finn Balor and Pete Dunne are the opposite of The Rock and Chris Jericho and Mankind. You know what I mean? It's just, they're, they're great in their own respects, but those respects are never maximised. Do you know what? Like, I, this for me was defined by the one that wasn't there. I infinitely prefer Adam Cole sat in the sun as he was last week. Like kind of trying to no-sell everything that's happened to him and just be like, well, I'll get my title shot when the time's right. Like, I'm, I'm with him, sitting back and letting all these complete losers fight each other for a bit and then picking the bones out of what's left. And like, you know, I know there's a Kyle O'Reilly match planned for him, but strictly observing kayfabe, he's the best of the bunch because he won't lower himself to this complete nonsense. Um, I unrelated almost to the promo train, there's something quite funny about Gargano insisting that they bail 
knowing full well his wife's in the tag title match in the main event and it's yeah. all about the way winning like that's that's a good character choice for them to put Gargano and Theory to bail um before the main event especially because you expect Gargano to lose that belt and this like truism that he's the weak link of his own group ultimately <laughs> like they get things done without him fanning on and he's probably going to lose despite Austin Theory's interference or something like that so I thought that was like an, a neat detail at the end I'm into Gargano and Cross but I'm into absolutely nobody else in this main event scene at all one more thing because I have to do this I'm compelled to do this by something inside of me another key difference between AW and NXT in recent weeks is that in AW we are trying to determine we've even recorded a podcast for this exact purpose um, what next for um, can you make it? Who's the true number one contender? Which you can, of course, listen to on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. AW has currently got so many winners, mm-hmm. so many visual winners on the rankings that at the minute there's this like complex spider web of which actual winner, which winner who wins matches and earns the opportunity, I hate that word, to challenge for Kenny Omega, which winner is going to do it? And on the other channel, which loser who's lost a lot is going to clearly take the fall to carry and cross before they do something interesting with them? Pathetic booking. From one thing we all didn't like to one I would thing. tweet that. It's such a great take, but NXT doesn't do the numbers. So. <laughs> From one thing we all didn't like to one thing I sense we all did, and that was Saray back in action. They were hyping up just how stacked this women's division is by talking about Soriana opponent, uh, Zayda Raymer, uh, who got that shock victory last week over Tony Storm. Uh, I'm just going to pass to you on this one, Hamlet, because I know you're a huge fan of Saray, her offense. And uh, it's such a, and I know we've seen this a, a great deal where you look at someone um, and you go, oh, you know, they look pretty lithe and small in the ring, especially female performers, not just in WWE, but in AEW as well, of course. And then they, just explodes, not just in the ring, but almost out of the screen. And Saray sort of personifies that, doesn't she? Oh, God, yeah. Like, there's there's very little in wrestling left now to surprise. You can be surprised. Really good booking will surprise you. Um, but it feels like there's less and less than ever before. So one of the, like, the more contemporary surprises, especially if you haven't seen much of somebody or you haven't seen any of somebody, and, and certainly in my case, is Saray, it's just like how heart eyes you feel for somebody or something brand new. Her drop kicks, like the suplex for the finish is awesome. Like she, she's going to like crush people with that. But her drop kicks, like the missile one, the running one against the ropes. I'm just like, it's jaw on the floor stuff. When somebody's brand new doing that kind of thing. Um, there's an energy to her, which you want out of your new wrestlers. And it's a nightmare when you don't get it because they feel like, dead on arrival she's the, the total opposite and she's done it in this fairly stale environment of the capital wrestling center which i think is an even greater achievement like we always used to say how generous full sale was to virtually everybody can you imagine the reaction she would be getting in there like they'd you'd feel like you've got an instant next leader of the women's division on your hands if she was in that molten full sale atmosphere at the moment the way how hard she hits um again i, I want to praise the booking of the women's division um on NXT, which is not like a new take, but I think there was points in the, like where we dwelled on it all the time in Io Shirai's title reign, where her in particular, her booking was pretty bland. It was just right, set up a challenger and 
you've got this pretty sprawling mid-card that are going to have great wrestling matches. You're going to tee up a challenger once every couple of months. They're going to fight Io Shirai. The booking of this women's division lately has been fantastic because Zayda Ramia was built last week as a threat. Saray has beaten her this week. You're going to get more in the afters after this, obviously. Tony Storm is feeling pretty embarrassed and pretty pissed off and feeling insecure because there's a number of challengers that are going to just like pass her by now because you know, this division is already feeling stacked. Um, and yeah, I think like Saray is yet another like incredible addition. We've already talked about Frankie Monet as well. It's looking in really tremendous health yet again with Raquel Gonzalez as a new champion. Didn't do much for me this, you know. No. I was blown away by Saray on week one. This wasn't as good a match, so you always... It didn't feel like a step back, but it wasn't a step forward either. There were just elements of the match that didn't really do much for me at all. There was minor notes of hesitation. I don't know. It just... It wasn't as good as the last thing that I saw this performer do. So it's hard to get exhilarated by what that performer does next. We saw a Zoom call with uh, Hanf- uh, with Walter next. Uh, he was giving a pep talk to Imperium uh, and then a teaser for the Diamond Mine. And then, yeah, another uh, callback to this. Uh, Saray sort of uh, checking on, on Zayda as he walks backstage. And it looks like Tony Storm's going to come in and jump them yet again. But Zoe Stark stops her. I really like this Zoe Stark character as well, Hamlet. Yeah, this is what I mean. I just feel like these are, they're all believable. I feel like the way they're arriving at these matches is like atypically organic um, for NXT. It just feels really, really well plotted. They can take the time and they've, like from Zoe Stark's debut, I feel like everything they were watching, it might, this might not be the case. I might be being generous, but I feel like I'm watching something that's been mapped out 10 to 12 weeks in advance. Mm. All the steps are super logical. And I like, I really like that. That's the sort of stuff that's going to like inspire some like renewed confidence in the brand at large, if they can pull this kind of thing off. I did like uh, this, the promo she cut as well later saying, I brought you into this business and I'll take you right out. It's like, she's only been here for a cup of tea. Give her a chance. Um, right. Then we got LA Knights versus Jake Atlas. Uh, a moment that Jake Atlas was there and he didn't get an entrance, I thought, oh, bollocks. Yeah, and exactly what I thought was was worried was going to happen. That is what happened. Uh, Knight cut a promo on his way to the ring, basically saying, I'm going to beat you up so bad, you're going to need a bloody Atlas to find out where you are. Comes in, batters him. You know, Jake Atlas recovers and rallies briefly, but uh, in the end, Knight hits the BFT and gets the victory. Uh, disappointing in terms of we want to see Jake Atlas doing far more stuff, Sige. But, uh, you know, necessary in terms of they're building LA Knight, obviously. Is it necessary? If it's a developmental program, and Christ almighty, you can debate until the day is long. My personal take is, of course, it's perceived as developmental. It's perceived by de- develop. It's perceived as developmental internally through WWE sheer arrogance, where they think, oh, Christ, these indie guys, they're not fit for TV, stick them in NXT first. Right, whatever. If I'm booking a develop, developmental program, which is actively seeking to promote young, vibrant talents to ready them ahead of the main roster, I would probably have Jake Atlas go over Eli Drake. You know, this is when I when I this is what I talk about when I talk about NXT being parody. Um, Drake, yes, he doesn't know how to work the hard camera. He probably does. You know, you can or you could alternatively just let the camera find the performer and let the performer perform. That's another way you could do it. The stupid playbook that WWE has. Um, bad priorities, nothing match. 
they've killed Jake Atlas dead and they killed him dead a long time ago. People have lost faith in him who knew what he was capable of doing. WWE fans have been given absolutely no reason um, to work out. Oh, hang on, this guy was the leading light of the indie circuit for a brief time before he got snapped up. I think this is a joke. I don't hate LA Knight in the role. Like, I think he's a compliment to NXT. At least one of them can talk. But yeah, just I'm a Jake Atlas guy and this pissed me off. Yeah, like this was one of them sort of like to steal a sidericism here. This was one of them goldfish things where it's like, we haven't got anything going on with LA Knight, but you idiots will forget he exists. So here's this. And Jake Atlas can be the victim of that. And it's like, well, A, like people won't forget. If you just give LA Knight a week off and then you insert him into his angle next week or the week after, that's fine. People won't have been going, where's Jake Atlas? Where's LA Knight being? But in the meantime, like it's always Jake Atlas in this role. Mm. And it's weird how they hate him. It's <laughs> weird how they hate him. Um, what they'll do is he'll get like some patronizing mini push soon. And the usual suspects will be all out there saying, ah, see how like he was learning from all these defeats. And he was like, well, he probably could have learned from about three of them, not 300. Mm. Because like he's been this for so long. They've now got to work twice as hard to establish that. Ah, he's starting to pick up some pace. Like if he just lost one or two, then it'd be Zoe Stark, right? Like you will believe her picking up some pace because she pushed Eosha right to the limit and lost, right? Jake Atlas has been doing this for months and months and months. Jake Atlas has been doing this since we were in full. Like, you know, I mentioned Full Sail earlier on. Full Sail did go wild for Jake Atlas and we're still here and he's still losing and it's still relatively meaningless just because I want to remind you that they signed LA Knight. You know, this wasn't to tee up LA Knight's next storyline. When virtually every other wrestler on this card has got something going on, LA Knight is one of the exceptions. So they haven't just squashed Jake Atlas. That feels like how they arrived at this and that's like pretty disappointing. Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell, uh, get, they're getting ready ahead of their title match in the main event. And Candice is trying all she can to make sure Indy Hartwell isn't thinking about Dexter Lumis. She's hiding stuff in the locker room. And then she's also closing the blinds when the creepy bastard is stood backlit behind a door holding some roses. Only they can get away with this amplet. Really weird. And yet I was so detached from the real life connotations of something like this that I quite enjoyed it. Not least in a week where roses have gone where they've gone. Um, I, yeah, like the closing of lines was funny because I forgot what that would mean in real life if Dexter Lumis was actually stood there outside their locker room peering in. It's just, it's one of those where it's like, because of the state of NXT and just the way pro wrestling at large, but like really a lot of it is centered on WWE, it's just completely no sold speaking out and how quickly they brought people back and all the rest of it. It just comes to something, and it's quite the indictment when you're watching this scene play out and you think, oh, it's, it's, it's only the serial killer. No one's in any danger, it's fine. Uh, two segments ne- next to set up, two huge title matches for next week. We had a Legada del Fantasma there in the ring there, and they're cutting a promo talking about what they did to MSK and Kushida the previous week. Um, uh, Raul Mendoza and, and Joaquin Wilde, as we alluded to earlier, they are want they want to face the tag team champions MSK. They talked about the fact that they, they never beat them. Uh, and uh, Santos Escobar talks about wanting his cruiserweight championship back. Kashida pops up on the video screen behind him, and yes, announces that next week they will face off 
for the Cruiserweight Championship. That is going to be an absolute banger. Uh, and then we got a split screen interview between uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Mercedes Martinez. Uh, summary of this is basically Mercedes saying she sort of plowed the furrow that, that Raquel Gonzalez walked in. She laid out the blueprint, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and Raquel Gonzalez, as if to remind us how bloody massive she is, talked about, well, you may have set the bar, but then I took the bar and set it all the way up here where no one else could reach it. Uh, and they are going to face off for the title, uh, for the women's title next week too. Looking forward to next week's show, Sige. Yeah, I'm a total and utter mark for a two out of three falls match. Love them. Um, don't WWE, it's WWE. <laughs> in the first fall. Don't do that. So much drama to be had. And it's easy drama. Maybe you're going to overthink it as cliche drama. No, it's timeless drama. Love a two out of three falls match. I think that should be great. What I really like, all of the dialogue across both these promos was, honestly, was like pretty unremarkable. But Always. it was all, but it was all so tight. And it was just them being rewarded for some all right booking over the last few weeks. Three, three matches, three feuds, relatively well built to, to the point where you're not like you don't need the dialogue to try and carry something over the line. You just believe the conflicts because they've been logically set up. Um, boring, it? It's a little bit drab. Too boring. A little bit drab. Like even as I'm reviewing it, it's, I understand that. I understand how that comes across. Um, but I like, they've got to relay all the foundations that they ripped out in the war. And I think this is how you do it. Honestly, it's like more the, institutional I, problem than the war personally, like we're all on the list game. I don't think you could possibly write 10 greatest NXT promos ever from like 2015 onwards, 2014. I sense they'll probably nearly all come from the same time. I know. Um, you, I mean, the, but the, again, it's, a, it's an NXT fallback, isn't it? But you could probably do the 10 greatest video packages because they were like, they were carrying their end of it when the promos didn't. Um, yeah, honestly, like I ju- none of the promos won me over, but the, like the matches did because mm. they, they have done a bit of the work and I just... I just feel like there's a lot of this, a lot of this, and a lot of weeks where, like this week, the matches were, for the most part, immensely satisfying. I think you need months and months and months of this, and then like and it'll start to take shape as an entertaining show again because you'll learn to anticipate matches. We need to anticipate more of these without assuming that they're just going to go to cheap finishes or they're just going to be matches to build matches. It takes a long, long time for, like to turn that wheel, and I think this was like a good example of them doing it with three separate things. Hopefully next week like you get three payoffs to these. That's the, that's the next, they've got to do this over and over and over again to like inspire some confidence in like in, in NXT's core audience, whatever's left of it. Mm. Uh, to make this transition from the build to, to from two exciting tag matches, what happened next? So switching gears, uh, Presley's pooped in the tank. That's what happened next. Uh, the tag champs are walking backstage and they go, go puppy. hello, lift him out. And he's left a massive dump bigger than he is in the tank. Um, mind games potentially there from Frankie Monet throwing the tag champs off their game, Michael Amplett. <laughs> Can I just take back all the praise I had about Frankie Monet? <laughs> I get what they're trying to do, but this is a bad version of a good bit. It's Triple H, isn't it? Uh, I've got There's to send Dad. Funnier than Dad. That's it. I've got to send Dad a bit of tape. He's asked for some footage from last night's show. What have we got? <laughs> Nothing's funnier. <laughs> send him the rose and send him the tank. I tell you what is funnier. Cameron Grimes, he rocks up at the nightclub 
this huge bouncer's there. He's like, I'm here, baby. Let me in. I'm on the list. Uh, he's here for the, you know, he's booked a booth. He's booked the VIP room. He says, uh, bouncer says to him, oh, sorry, mate. No, it's, the whole thing's been booked out for a private party. I like Grimes saying, you're quite tall. Maybe you didn't hear. So he jumps and shouts his name. Cameron Grimes. Uh, <laughs> huge for that daft twat doing that. <laughs> a limo rolls up. It's got dollar signs on the front. And who would step out? But the legend that is Ted DiBiase. He walks up to him and he says, why, why book a booth when you can buy the whole club? Everyone's got a price. He does his inimitable laugh. And as you mentioned earlier, Sige, Cameron Grimes has, well, could only be described as a conniption fit. It also with his line, that wasn't even funny. <laughs> I love the jumping up thing because not only was it just a good visual gag, but it's simply the idea that Cameron Grimes is such an irresistibly funny blowhard that it can't possibly be that people don't like him or people don't think he's got money or, or, or that he's an idiot. It's that, oh, they didn't hear me. And the reason why, <laughs> his stupid gears going through his stupid, stupid mind. All right, I'm not close enough. Even though I could theoretically say this from across the street and he could hear it. It's just great, great, intelligent, dumb comedy writing, if that makes any sense. Uh, bearing the lead here... Teddy DiBiase was going to see Tiesto in concert. Did you see the, the advert for what the building, what was on at the building? Was Tiesto in concert? I don't know if that was like a future thing or what, but I'm choosing to believe that Ted DiBiase likes Tiesto. Massive Tiesto. It, this was great. I stand corrected about them not having more good ideas with Ted DiBiase because they obviously know what they're doing here and they're going to shoot them well and it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel right. It's not going to feel forced. So there probably is several more of these and they'll probably all be good. The ultimate one where he gets them back is he's going to go to the warehouse and get the million dollar championship or go to some Mark's house and underpay him for it and whack it on a &E. It'd be great if they filmed the bit where like Cameron Grimes just turns up at this like shack, this dilapidated house. It's Teddy Juniors. <laughs> And the belt is the only thing that he's got. And he's never sold it. He could have like lived a better life, but he just wanted to hold on to this belt. And Cameron Grimes finds his price and buys that belt and buys Ted DiBiase Jr. out of poverty. Main event time. Uh, women's tag team titles are on the line. Emma Moon and Shotzi Blackheart versus Candice Ray and Indy Hartwell. And uh, yeah, we mentioned plunder and everything here with tables, chairs, trash can, trash can lids. Um, the champs are a uh, double double teaming Indy Hartwell. The Ray tries to make the save, goes for a baseball slide, and just gets twatted by two bin lids. Basically, um, oh my god, there was a bit where Hartwell makes the save, cleans house, sets up like four chairs at ringside, then Moon hit, slams her into the chairs, and I was like, oh, "That's not the spot clearly that they've set up for here." She puts a fifth chair on top and sits on it, and I thought, "Oh my god, Indy Hartwell's going to die, or someone's going to die," because they set up for I think a big Shotzi Blackheart dive through the ropes as Ember Moon held it open. Thank goodness, Candice Ray was there to spray the two of them with the fire extinguisher to stop what would have been certain death on those weirdly angle. I just thought well, there's so many angles here that this can go wrong on these chairs. Um, in the, uh, in the break, we have Lorray uh, wedging a chair between the top and middle rope. Of course, when we come back, she immediately eats that chair. Uh, the champs are in control. Um, oh, my God. There's Lorray laying on this ladder bridge and jumps off the top rope. And it was a sickening bump off 
off the la- off Lorraine off the ladder bridge. Horrible to witness that. Um, then later on, Moon gives uh, Indy Hartwell an Alabama slam through a table that's propped up in the corner. Um, Hartwell fights back. She kicks the ladder into Moon and Blackheart. Uh, Blackheart's placed on a ladder that's propped on the ropes and Larray does a mad moonsault onto it with the help from Indy Hartwell. Moon eats a spine buster on a ladder and then they're brawling near the announce desk, Indy Hartwell and Shotzi Blackheart, that is. Blackheart hits her with a coffee mug, climbs up, as we predicted, that weird uh, truss or whatever it's called, climbs up the girders that that are set up around the announce tables, leaps off it, puts Hartwell through the announce desk. You think she's done, uh, Hartwell, but no, she eventually fights back. She does an elbow drop from the ring to the outside to put Moon through the table. Lorraine, I think, uses brass knucks to lay out Blackheart and then hits the wicked stepsister onto a chair. One, two, three. Candice Lorraine and Indy Hartwell are your new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. Michael Hamflet, about bloody time Candice Lorraine has a belt around her waist. Absolutely. Um, and I didn't see this particular result coming. So I was like pleasantly surprised by the way winning the belt. So the most overtack team in the company. Um, you know, the, it's, I've said this, beat this drum, the, the division didn't need belts. They just needed the WWE's tag belts. But we got them and they're a better fit for it than Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. As sort of broadly believable as their chemistry was as mates. They're not a proper tag team that Candice Array and Indy Hartwell can be. Really, really enjoyed this and like not to put ourselves over, but I feel like we have to give most of the credit to Candice Array here because these live or die entirely by construction. And we just know what we know about her ability to construct these very much in the same way that Kevin Owens, when he was Kevin Steen, used to just be really artful in his construction of big ladder spots or the toys, as he would call them. Mm-hmm. It's all about how you introduce them and how you use them rather than just the use of them. There's enough examples of the bad ones in NXT, so I really want to give praise to a good one. Very little of this felt forced. You went into great detail because there was so much detail explaining that chair spot. And if you think about how difficult it was to explain, imagine how you set that up without feeling contrived. I thought that was a good example of several in this match where very little of it felt contrived, including astonishingly shotty climbing the truss, which has happened over and over again. And they found a way and it was with something as simple as a coffee mug, you know, like grabbing that, that takes thought and it takes somebody like, and I'm going to put it on Larray, but, you know, to be fair to all of them, it's just my assumption here of somebody like Matt Hardy and Edge in the TLC days, being able to see the whole thing and being able to see how you use your surrounds and how the weapons feel organically inserted into the match rather than just the things you grab for under the ring. They love people going through ladders in NXT more than they love people going through tables. So you were going to get one of them. And again, I felt like that was like really well built to, and too often those are thrown away. Um, and I loved, like, the last sort of two or three minutes felt more like a title fight than a plunder brawl, mm. which is what you want out of these things. They replayed it, and I was glad they did. But when Ember Moon hit those chairs and just wailed out in agony, you you were taken out of this being a crazy stunt brawl, and it became a weapons fight. And again, I like the Wicked Stepsister on the chair. Perfect, perfect finish as well, because... Candice LeRae, for all this feud has gone on far too long, over so many takeovers and over so many months, she hasn't been able to get the measure of Shotty Blackheart, so she does it in an environment where she's more comfortable to do so, with a chair-assisted version of a finisher. So even that was like a superb, logical way for them to win the belts. Really, really, like, really over-delivered for me, this did, especially considering how much I like the opener as well. 
they couldn't compete with the violence that we're going to get on Dynamite tonight. Of course they couldn't. This was just really enjoyable in and of itself. Yes, it's tits. I really enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. Um, so much so that I, especially because of the finish, right? I think the fact that there was a title change and the heels got the belts really informed my feeling on the Chekhov's chair spot that they didn't deliver in the end. But the fact that the heels got one over and then they won the title, that just felt like that was on purpose. What I loved about that spot is that I genuinely had my heart and my mouth about who was going to actually die when it was eventually executed. And just that spray of the fire extinguisher, like, was, ah, dicks. I really want to see that. I really, really want to see that. And you've deprived me of that. So I really enjoyed that. Um, if I'm going to put my safety police hat on a little bit, they are enabling Shotty Blackheart way too much. I would really like to see them just put a moratorium on the dives and the rest of the stuff that she's doing. So I think she can be a great wrestler without almost killing herself in every single match. And that is going to realistically catch up on her one of these days because she's got such a crazed energy that doesn't ever feel controlled. And that's where the thrill comes from. But you can watch like the books in ROH in PWG who were absolute lunatics, but you knew that they were controlled in every movement because they were truly elite workers. I don't get out that out of Shotty Blackheart and I do genuinely worry for her. The last three minutes, particularly when it all went build, build, build to the Shotty Blackheart, uh, the Indy Hartwell elbow drop, I thought that was truly exhilarating. But the reason that becomes exhilarating is because you're not laboring over the setup. You're not pause, spot, pause, spot and that awful WWE rhythm. It felt like it was constructed elegantly and perfectly so it could just elicit this feeling of like exhilaration out of you watching it. Love this. I thought it was one of the best NXT main events in ages. Yeah, a brutal street fight for the uh, tag titles. And yeah, so excited to see where they go next with new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. And as we alluded to earlier, two more title matches next week. NXT's finally good again. And all it took was them actually moving nights. Uh, well, but let us know, let us know your thoughts. In your main event scene, so let's not go. <laughs> let us know your thoughts on Twitter. At what culture WWE watch? They can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at Hate Promo Trains Forever at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including later on today, our preview of AEW Dynamite featuring, of course, Blood and Guts. Uh, but for now, this has been the NXT Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.